Welcome to the Faith and More podcast. I firmly believe that the divine works through people to help us every day. These angels and saints are so very humble. Many of us don't know they exist or existed. Hello, my name is Angel and I'll be your host as we explore the lives of these amazing beings. We will also explore topics that can help your faith, no matter what it is or isn't. The goal of this show is to inspire, encourage, educate, uplift, strengthen, and heal you and your faith. Hello and welcome to the show, everyone. How are you all doing? I hope you all are doing well and that you're blessed, and I can't thank you enough for tuning in. Now, I know you're probably leery of tuning in because of the title, uh, but I hope you'll stick around because I guarantee it's going to be a great show. You're going to learn a lot, and there's going to be so much here that can help you, your loved ones, and your friends. Last week, we had a great show with Mike, and he shared in a very raw way his life and everything that's happened to him, well, pretty much everything that's happened to him. Um, with his health and, and alcoholism and how he's 22 years sober now and how he accredits that to AA and the 12 steps. And I wanted to share some more and spend some more time on the 12 steps. Now, I know you might be saying, but I'm not an alcoholic and I get that. But the thing is, is the 12 steps can help with any addiction and we all have addictions there's not a one of us that is addiction free and if you are struggling with an addiction uh, the 12 steps can help you get out of that mike did an amazing job last week on covering the 12 steps um, and if you haven't heard that interview with mike yet please 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 go back uh, pause here, go back to last week's episode and give that a listen. And you might want to get some paper and pen out and take some notes uh, because it, there was a lot. There was a lot that was covered and a lot that Mike shared. Um, and we're going to try to unpack some of that in this episode, but it's not going to be the same without Mike here. Um, Mike has that firsthand knowledge and experience, whereas I don't with the 12 steps. Now, I know people who have uh, used the 12 steps, and I know who people who have uh, been successful at the 12 steps, and I know people who have failed at the 12 steps, but believe they were successful, and I'll share that as we go. So you also might be saying, well, I'm not Christian, and how are the 12 steps going to apply to me um, that I'm not a Christian? Well, the 12 steps are adaptable to any faith or to no faith. Um, there are atheists that uh, do the 12 steps, and, um, you know, it's not something that I recommend because the higher power part really plays a major role uh, in the 12 steps and is a great help of uh, surrendering to a higher power. So regardless of what you label that higher power, you can adapt that to the 12 steps very, very easily. And as Mike shared with me uh, last in, during the interview, it was actually off interview, he shared with me that. Uh, the creator or co-creator of uh, the 12 Steps, uh, Bill Wilson, was uh, not religious at all when he created the 12 Steps. But there was something drastically lacking that he found in the 12 Steps to make it as uh, powerful and work as well as it did. Uh, it was not until he got with some other people and they were actually Christians and they, you know, they put the God in it and, and, the, and the Christianity in it. Uh, and the higher power in it and faith in it that it actually gave it its, you know, uh, adamantium power that it has. But again, if anyone out there that's listening that is of no faith or has their own faith or whatever your faith may be, again, if you believe in a higher power, just insert your higher power into the 12 steps and it will work for you just fine. Um, I'm sure there are splinter groups of AA that are of different religions. There's got to be in other countries. Like they can't all be Christian. I'm sure there's Muslim. I'm sure there's Hindu. I'm sure uh, there's Buddhist. I'm sure there's all kinds of different chapters. Um, just Google it. I'm sure many, many, many will come up uh, in your area. So if you want to meet with a group, you can get the help uh, and the support, which is very important, very key that you need. 
So a little disclaimer, since we are talking about addictions, is that I'm not a doctor in any way, shape or form, nor do I play one on podcast. So if everything I share here is information only, and if you have an issue of addiction, please, please, please seek proper help. As Mike said last week, and he said it many times, and it's something that can't be stressed enough, uh, that if you have an addiction uh, to things of, such as alcohol and drugs, um, it is very, very important that you have someone in, in that's medically trained to assist you on overcoming that. That's not something you want to do on your own. As Mike perfectly pointed out, just with the example of alcohol, if you try to quit uh, just cold on drinking alcohol, you could actually kill yourself and you know from the you know withdrawals. So please uh, adhere to this uh, public service announcement and seek medical help. Don't try to do this on your own. Yeah, it's great to go ahead and get the big book uh, that Mike was talking about. I put a link in the show notes for last week and I'll have a link to it in this week. If you want to get that and kind of peruse it to give yourself um, uh, more of an understanding and foundation before you take that step. But please. Please, please take that step to overcoming the addiction, especially with alcohol and drugs or anything like that that can be detrimental to your health. Well, I guess any addiction could be detrimental to your health, uh, regardless of how big or how small you might think. Now, uh, my addiction is sugar. Now, you might say, well, that's stupid. How is that bad? Well, Because of my addiction to sugar and because I did not limit my intake to sugar for many, many years, most of my life, um, it played a big toll on my health. I developed type 2 diabetes and that all affected my heart. And, you know, I have had since, you know, quadruple bypass and a mitral valve implant, all solely based on uh, my addiction to sugar. So, yeah, anything that you might believe to be simple, um, a simple addiction can lead to something devastating in your life. Say if you're addicted to porn, um, you might think, well, that's not going to hurt anybody. What about your family and your loved ones? Um, well, how does it affect them? Do they know? I mean, how, would it, how does it affect your relationships with people? So see how you can see that all addictions have a negative impact on your life. And I'm not pointing fingers or, or shaming anybody at all. Not, not in the least. I'm actually trying to show everybody by holding up a mirror saying here, you know, take a look, a deep look at yourself and find these uh, addictions. And it could be more than one. I believe we all have many addictions to different things. Um, in by using the 12 steps, it can greatly help us overcome those addictions. So before we get into the uh, nitty gritty of the 12 steps, it'd be good for us to have a background on where it all came from. Excuse me. And as I said before, Bill Wilson was the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. From what I understand, he was the creator of the 12 steps originally, and they were later modified uh, with others involved in it. And it says here, you know, The co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous recalls the fateful meeting that changed his life and planted the seed for the 12 steps in the big book of AA. He says, my musing was interrupted by the telephone. The cheery voice of an old school friend asked if I might come over. He was sober. It was years since I could remember his coming to New York in that condition. I was amazed. Rumor had it that he had been committed for alcoholic insanity, which is what they called alcoholism alcoholism back then. I wondered how he had escaped, but the only thing Edwin Ebby Thatcher had escaped from was the slow strangulation of the spirit imposed upon him by alcoholism. Ebby, it turned out, was a member of the Oxford Group, a Christian organization founded by Frank Buckman that believed the root of all problems were the personal problems of fear and selfishness and that the solution to living with fear and selfishness was to surrender one's life over to God's plan. Now, anyone out there that's Christian or even a, a different faith can kind of 
get what they're saying there as far as surrender. That's a big thing in all faiths is surrender to that higher power and um, putting your life in their hands um, and help allowing them to help you. It's not that you roll over and say, well, they're in charge of everything. It's that you are actively involved with that higher power and communicating with that higher power and getting strength from that higher power to overcome uh, things in your life. An American missionary, Buckman had a life-changing experience at the 1908 Keswick Convention of Evangelical Christians in England. In 1921, he founded a first-century Christian fellowship, which evolved over the next decade into the Oxford Group. At the time, the concepts embraced by the Oxford Group were revolutionary. No hierarchy, no temples, no endowments, its workers, no salaries, no plans, but God's plan. It was simply a group of people from all walks of life who had surrendered their lives to God. Their endeavor was to lead a spiritual life under God's guidance, and their purpose was to carry their message so others could do the same. The absence of leadership, members believed ultimate leadership resided with the Holy Spirit and striven to embrace God's will instead of their own. The piety of its members and the focus on carrying its message of hope to others were ancestors of the 12 steps. A 1936 Good Housekeeping article on the group, in fact, described it as having neither membership nor dues nor paid leaders nor theological creed nor regular meetings. It was simply a fellowship of people who desired to follow a way of life, a determination and not a denomination. The group recommended meditation and adherence to Christian principles and listed six tenets necessary for spiritual revolution. Now, these are the Oxford principles. These are not the 12 steps uh, that I'm going to cite here. And some of you may agree with them and some of you may not agree with them, depending on your faith. Uh, but I just want to, you know, state these facts uh, for the record, just because it's, it's part of the history of the 12 steps. Uh, so the six tenets of the Oxford principles are men are sinners or people are sinners. People can be changed. Confession is a prerequisite to change. The changed soul has direct access to God. The age of miracles has returned, and those who have been changed must change others. The Oxford group caught the attention of those working in the fields of psychiatry, psychology, and philosophy of the day. In the early 1930s, a Rhode Island native, Roland Hazard, sought help from the famous Swiss psychoanalyst Carl Jung for his alcoholism. Young directed him to the Oxford group, believing Roland's case could not be addressed through traditional medical means and that a spiritual revitalization was necessary. So the Carl Jung they're talking about is the very famous Carl Jung. Um, it continues on. Roland was Ebby's introduction to the Oxford group and together the two men embraced its principles as a path to sobriety. It was a sober and transformed Ebby who showed up at Wilson's home in November of 1934 with a smile on his face and a soul free of the bondage of the bottle. In the big book chapter, Bill's story, uh, Wilson recounts his witness to Ebby's transformation. The door opened and he stood there, fresh skinned and glowing. There was something about his eyes. He was inexplicably different. What had happened? Ebby informed Wilson that he had found religion, but he did no ranting. In a matter-of-fact way, he told how two men had appeared in court, persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. They had told of a simple religious idea and a practical program of action. That was two months ago, and the result was self-evident it worked. Wilson details the turmoil he felt recounting questions of God and the spirit that led to both hesitation and a desire to embrace his friend's new way of life. Ultimately, he rejected the offering, citing his contempt for religion. The wars which had been fought, the burnings, the chicanery that religious disputes had facilitated made me sick. It was his friend's change, however, that convinced him. Obviously, Wilson realized Ebby's will had been unable to initiate such a transformation. There had been no more power in him than there was in me at that minute, 
and this was none at all. Ebby's words would prove invaluable to the later development of the 12 steps. Why don't you choose your own conception of God? That statement hit me hard, Wilson wrote. It melted the icy intellectual mountain in whose shadow I had lived and shivered many years. I stood in the sunlight at last. So here they're talking about doing exactly what I was saying at the beginning of the show, that these 12 steps can be adapted to any faith. Um, as, it's, as he said, you know, what is your conception of God? It's based on your own conception of God. And that gets into previous shows where we've talked about how no one can have the same uh, conception or belief in God because everybody believes and feels things differently. Uh, and everybody comes from different backgrounds, different experiences, uh, different conditioning. So what you believe is based on all of that. And your God is different than everybody else's God. Yeah, it can be the same source in infinite forms. So just look at it that way. And again, it transcends labels. It goes beyond all labels the divine does. And it's probably best to stay away from labels, which we've talked about in previous podcasts. Um, but I mean, that's up to you. But again, it's, it, it's pointing out here uh, in the article that the 12 steps are extremely adaptable. It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. From the honesty of the unimaginability of his alcoholism to open-mindedness of a spiritual solution, Bill Wilson was on his way. After another hospitalization for his alcoholism, he made the decision to turn his will and his life over to the care of of a God of his understanding. I placed myself unreservedly under his care and direction. I admitted for the first time that of myself I was nothing, that without him I was lost. And I'm going to be referring back to last week's show with Mike quite a bit. So again, if you haven't listened to that, pause here and go back and listen so you'll understand what I'm referring to because Mike did an incredible uh, truly amazing job at explaining everything uh, that he had experienced. Um, and here we have, you know, uh, Bill Wilson going through the same thing. He had that breaking point. And as Mike shared in, in the show last week, his breaking point was, um, you know, his alcohol and his OD that put him in the hospital. And he woke up in a padded room and well, not padded room, but a room with bars on the windows and and everything else. And as he was standing, looking out the window um, at the families in the park behind the hospital, he said that warm breeze came through the window, a window that was closed and sealed shut. And it went through him. And that energy, that power, that divine uh, that Mike referred to as the Holy Spirit went through him and it changed him forever. From that point on, Mike was not the same Mike that went into the hospital. He was completely different. So here we have a similar situation uh, with Bill Wilson, who's realizing that on his own, he can't do this. He can't beat this. He needs a higher power. And Mike shared in that uh, show last week as well, that he too realized that, that that's when he, you know, broke down and, and said to God, that I can't do this. Since that day, Bill never drank again. He worked a version of the 12 steps almost immediately discussing his problems and deficiencies, making a list of people I had hurt or toward whom I had felt resentment, and developing a willingness to admit his own wrongs. According to My Name is Bill, a biography by Susan Cheever, Wilson was also influenced by William James's book, Varieties of Religious Experience. And as he began to become more involved in the Oxford group, the more he found himself drawn to the members who, like him, were recovering alcoholics. Eventually, the alcoholics in the group gravitated toward Bill, who saw that many who found sobriety through the group eventually relapsed. He grew discouraged that others didn't have the spiritual transformation that he did. A friend in the medical field recommended that he stop preaching and start talking about alcoholism as a disease. He took that suggestion with him on a business trip to Akron, Ohio, 
where a collapsed opportunity led him to crave a drink. Instead, he called a local religious leader who gave him a list of 10 names to call so that he might find a drunk to talk with. Those names eventually led him to Dr. Robert Smith, who would later be known as a, in AA circles as Dr. Bob. A member of the Akron Oxford group, Dr. Bob, had lost his post at Akron City Hospital and was watching his general practice crumble. Still, he couldn't stop drinking, and the Vermont native presented a, surely, a surly excuse me, picture to the visiting Wall Street investment banker. The two found in one another, however, kindred spirits united by a common bond of alcoholism. Bill needed help to keep from drinking. Dr. Bob needed help to stop. He was the first living human with whom I had ever talked who knew what he was talking about in regard to alcoholism from an actual experience. Dr. Bob wrote in Dr. Bob's Nightmare, the first personal story in the big book. In other words, he talked my language. Bill moved in with Dr. Bob and his wife. In a while, the doctor stumbled after their initial meeting. He took his last drink on June 10, 1935, which is regarded as the official date of the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous. It would be another couple of years before the group of dedicated alcoholics broke from the Oxford group and four years until the 12 steps materialized during the writing of the first edition of the big book. In 1938, Bill began to write what would become the first edition of the big book. He and Dr. Bob realized that they had discovered a way to help alcoholics get sober that actually worked. According to Cheever's biography, and by the end of 1937, they had split with the Oxford group and begun raising funds for a new fellowship. Although the 12 traditions would later clarify that AA and other 12-step organizations that followed in its wake should be fully self-supporting, those early days were hand-to-mouth affairs that required outside assistance if the group was going to survive. At the same time, Bill began working on a book that would allow the program to reach people who couldn't get to meetings or find a fellow alcoholic. According to Cheever, the first two chapters were sent out and the publishing house Harper and Brothers offered him an advance. But in the end, the group decided to publish the book themselves. At each chapter was, as each chapter was completed, the small group of sober alcoholics in New York, where Bill lived, would read them over, sometimes tearing the various, tearing, excuse me, tearing the various paragraphs down to their foundations and sending them back to him for rewrite. They were then forwarded to the group led by Dr. Bob and Akron, who would again offer commentary and criticism before sending back to Bill for another rewrite. Finally, a select group of editors, including sober alcoholics who had worked at publications like the New Yorker and the New York Daily News, would go over the final draft. So here they're talking about the creation of the big book that Mike uh, talked about last week. And again, uh, a link to the big book will be uh, in the show notes. It was in last week's show notes as well. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, I believe it's like, you know, less than $15. And, you know, it's again, it's great for anyone, regardless of your addiction. It will help you. According to Cheever, when Bill got to Chapter 5, How It Works, which details the 12 steps, he sat up one night with a pencil and pad and began with the six Oxford, six Oxford group tenants as his raw material. I set out to draft more than six steps, he would later write. How many more, I did not know. I relaxed and asked for guidance. With a speed that was astonishing, considering my jangled emotions, I completed the first draft. It took perhaps half an hour. The words kept right on coming. When I reached a stopping point, I numbered the new steps. They added up to 12. Okay, so now we're going to get into the individual 12 steps and how they can relate to whatever addiction you have and whatever faith you have. Again, Mike did a far better job than I could ever do because, I mean, just based on he's lived them for 22 years. Uh, so he knows each one inside and out. So again, if you haven't listened to last week's show or you want to go back and listen, re-listen to last week's show, please do because um, he Mike did, 
I get, he did such a superb job on covering these 12 steps that I couldn't hold a candle to it, nor would I try. So step number one is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol or whatever your addiction is. That's where you would name that addiction, that our lives had become unmanageable. So addictions of any type, shape or form, maybe you you buy too many things, you shop online too much. That's an addiction that you know you cannot manage. It's unmanageable for you and you need help because it can put you and your family in detrimental dire straits if it already hasn't, you know, financially, uh, emotionally, in your relationship with your significant other, with your family. Uh, so you see how these adapt, these, all of these 12 steps adapt to any addiction at all. So we came to believe, this is step number two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Uh, so, you know, anybody who's stuck in that addictive rut knows that you're not in the right state of mind, especially when um, the addiction comes over you and it, it blinds you. You become like a shark. You know, the white goes over your eye and you attack and just plunge headfirst into that addiction, regardless if it's alcohol, drugs, um, no matter what. I mean, it could be any, again, sugar. You know, I would just blindly just eat and eat and eat and consume uh, sugary sweets uh, like it was nothing. I mean, it was nothing for me to sit down and eat boxes of individually wrapped treats, you know, the sugary treats. Um, and it, you know, severely, severely um, ruined my health. So, again, to say that, you know what, I need help. I need a higher power. Uh, so that takes us to number three, make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God or divine uh, higher power as we understand it. Uh, so, again, it's not saying that I have to be a theological scholar to turn my addiction over to God or the divine. It means putting it or surrendering it to whatever I believe in the extent that I believe it, you know, um, the God at my level. You know, not the God at somebody else's level. Again, this is a very personal thing, a very personal experience and a very personal transition. So, you know, making that decision to say, I have a problem. I need help. I surrender it to my higher power. So number four is made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So sitting down and actually taking note of what this addiction has done and what I have done Um while under the influence of this addiction, how I've hurt people, how I've hurt myself. Um, and, you know, the list just goes on and on. But it, as Mike pointed out last week, it's so important that you follow through with each of the steps. And as I said at the beginning of the show, I know people who believe that the 12 steps have done them great. But I know for a fact they haven't completed the 12 steps. They've picked and choosed which ones they wanted to practice. And yeah, it's helped them, but their lives are not anything nowhere near of what they would be if they followed through with each of these steps. So number five is admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. So confessing, confessing our wrongs, whether that be you know, confessing it to your higher power and confessing it to someone else, confessing it to someone else in a group, you know, in an addiction group, someone else that's suffered what you, the addiction that you've suffered and have beat it. Um, it, it could also just be anybody, a friend, you know, a member of your church, um, your spiritual director, especially um, any of these people can help you. But the thing is, is admitting to the higher power, to ourselves and to other people, the exact nature of what we've done wrong. So again, confession. Uh, number six is we're entirely ready to have the divine remove all these defects of character by saying, you know what? I'm done. You've reached rock bottom. You're at a point of no return. You're done. You're absolutely done. As Bill Wilson pointed out earlier, uh, how he was done. Um, as Mike pointed out uh, in, in the interview last week, how he was done when he found himself, when he woke up, in a room with bars on the windows in a hospital, he realized he was done. And number seven is humbly ask him, that higher 
power, that divine, to remove our shortcomings. So again, it says humbly. Uh, as Mike sounded a lot last week, and I want to definitely reiterate, you've got to put your pride aside. The pride, the ego, you've got to drop it completely in order to completely heal from addictions or really anything in life because pride can just tear things apart um, and, and there's no place for it. So again, being humble, humbly asking the divine to remove all of your shortcomings by saying, you know what? I can't do this on my, my own. I am coming to you. I need your help. I want your help and allowing a set surrender, allowing the divine or whatever you believe in to help you to take you by the hand, to wrap its arms or wings around you and hold you and get you through this and give you the strength to get through this. Next, we have number eight. Make or you made a list of all the persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. And that's a big part and an extremely difficult part uh, remember, Mike talked about this last. I know I keep referring to it. I can't I can't top the master, nor would I ever try. So, you know, infinite thanks and blessings to Mike for doing the show last week, because, I mean, he gave us so much insight and wisdom uh, from his own experience and from 22 years of experience. I mean, you can't get better than that. But again, it's so important to make that list of everyone that you've harmed, everyone that you've hurt. And that could be a long list, uh, but it's nonetheless it's a step that you have to do. It's a part of the recovery. You've got to do it. Number nine is make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So again, you now have to analyze that list and say, who on this list can I contact to where my contact with them would not harm them more than it already has? more than what I already have harmed them by just the sound of my voice or me showing up at the doorstep would cause them harm. Now, you, you know, you don't want to put others um, below you and say, well, it, I don't care. It's, it's just all about my recovery. No, again, humble, being humble, put that pride, put that ego, let it go, get rid of it, squash it, you know, just disintegrate it. Be humble. It's all about being selfless. Recovery is about being selfless because what got us all into the addiction in the first place? The self, the pride, the ego, the me, the mind, the I, you know, and, and, and it's just it's such a poisonous combination of things. It just goes from one to the other to the other to the other. And before you know it, you're, you're just over overwhelmed and avalanched. So number 10 is continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admit it. And Mike, again, pointed that out last week, that this is a step that you live. These steps you live every day. And as he said, even when he does something wrong with his wife, he's quick to correct that because any wrong that you've done to anyone at any time, past, present, it can come back and haunt you and be a trigger for that addiction. And if you do some kind of wrong, any wrong, as Mike was pointing out, be quick to admit it and reconcile because even the smallest thing can fester into something huge later on down the road that could trigger you to go back to that addiction again. Number 11 is sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. So again, it's putting the self aside, not my will, but thy will, not my will, but your will. You're referring to your, your higher power, to your divine uh, that you believe in. It's not what I want personally, no ego, no self, no pride. It's what that divine being wants for you in your life. And again, refer back to, if you're Christian, to the Bible. You refer back to the Quran. Refer back to, um, you know, the Bhagavad Gita. You know, refer back to, you know, the Dharma, if you're Buddhist. Um, it goes on and on. Refer back to the Torah, if you're, um, if you're Jewish. So refer back to whatever 
cornerstone or heart of your faith is, whatever book or text or teachings that your faith has, refer back to those, and those teachings will show you exactly what your divine wants you to do, what your divine wants you to be in this life. And the twelfth step is having had a spiritual awakening. As the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all affairs. So if you're able to complete this and achieve this, beating this addiction, you owe it to others to share that, to help others because of this awakening that you've had. Now is your chance to share it with others, to help others and lift others up. I mean, that's all what life is all should be all about is helping others and lifting each other up, um, regardless of who this person is, their nationality, their their race, their religion. You know, help others where you can help. And this is perfect for whatever addiction or addictions you overcome. It's important that when you have the opportunity, help others. I mean, it's not an example of addiction, but as Mike and I were talking about last week, where I shared that Mike and I had met on the online support group, myheartdiseaseteam.com. And that was something that Mike and I decided to do before we had even met, uh, which others have decided to do too. Once you've gone through, uh, you know, such heart events as we have, you want to share it with others. You want to help others because... It's an extremely horrible and scary uh, thing to go through. And you want to make sure, and there's so much PTSD that comes from it. You want to make sure that you do all that you can to be there for others and to help others that are either getting ready to go through what you went through or have gone through what what you've gone through that aren't doing so well. And there are so many. And the same thing goes with addictions. Again, I'm sorry to keep re-saying the same thing over and over again, but I can't say it enough, the importance of taking what you've done and accomplished and putting that into practice to help others. So I'll continue on now with the article. It says, although the fledgling group struggled at first, by 1944, there were roughly 10,000 members of Alcoholics Anonymous spread throughout 400 groups. Two years later, that number had tripled. In 1953, the book 12 Steps and 12 Traditions was published, codifying the foundation stones for the program. Incidentally, 1953 is also the year that the second largest 12-step group, Narcotics Anonymous, was formed. The inclusion of addicts seeking recovery had long been a point of contention in AA, And in 1948, a short-lived group used the N.A. name, a Narcotics Anonymous name, to begin a program in the New York State prison system. However, that particular group didn't follow the 12 traditions, never aligned itself with Narcotics Anonymous movement that grew to nationwide status and ultimately died out in the 1970s. Narcotics Anonymous, as it's known today, was founded by the late Jimmy Kinnon and others many of them refugees from AA, who felt that particular program was too exclusively focused on a particular substance. On September 14, 1953, AA, by this time, was a governing board of trusted servants granted NA permission to use the 12 steps and 12 traditions contingent upon the group not doing so under the AA banner. The group published its first piece of literature containing the NA versions of the 12 steps called the Little Brown Book in 1954. As word of AA and NA began to spread, so too did the hope offered by the steps the programs used. Other programs eventually followed. Gamblers Anonymous was established in Los Angeles in 1954, I mean, excuse me, 1957. Neurotics Anonymous uh, for recovery from emotional and mental illness was founded in Washington, D.C. in 1964. Debtors Anonymous and Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous were both formed in 1976. Today, there are dozens of 12-step groups from a myriad of addictions and life problems, all of them patterning their recovery after the 12 steps, originally conceived by those early members of AA. 
Today, it's estimated there are more than 2 million members of AA spread across more than 120,000 groups around the world. Narcotics Anonymous meetings are held 67,000 times weekly in 139 countries across the planet, and those are just the top two 12-step groups. Given the prolification, the success of the steps has imagined what one night by Bill Wilson in 1938 is incalculable. In addition, the solace, comfort, and serenity they've provided to those who seek a better way of life through them cannot be quantified, especially given the fact that they've become a foundation stone, a cornerstone, if you will, of drug and alcohol treatment programs and residential addiction treatment centers around the world. Truly, it would appear, the spiritual nature of the program at which Bill originally scoffed has proven both effective and miraculous in communities of recovery from all manner of substances and conditions. So the article, the amazing article that I just read from, uh, was found on cornerstoneofrecovery.com. Again, I'll have links to everything, as I always do, in the show notes. You guys can check those out. The best way to do that is through the website, and I'll have information at the close of the show on exactly how you can find the website, if you don't already know. <laughs> so if you've all made it to this point, thank you so much for listening to the show. And I so hope that this topic was one that even though you might may have thought, ah, it doesn't pertain to me, I'm not an alcoholic, uh, I'm not a drug addict, I'm not anything like that, that you're seeing what I was pointing at and that Mike was pointing at last week, that you know these 12 steps can help you regardless of what your addiction is. It could be anything, any addiction. We all have them. I mean, sit down and analyze yourself for a minute, and I'm sure you'll come up with at least a half dozen uh, things that you're addicted to that you may not have even realized that you're addicted to. And then, you know, of course, not all addictions are bad, I guess, per se, but unless you're harming somebody else or harming yourself. Uh, but then again, you might be in the process of doing something that you don't think is hurting yourself, but is like my sugar addiction for years and forever. My wife and son told me, you've got to stop. You're killing yourself. And I scoffed at him. I did. I, I mean, I was completely ignorant I mean, beyond ignorant about the whole thing and did not for a minute think that any of the anything that I was doing was going to harm me. But yet, you know, here I am, you know, you know, almost two years into being um, past open heart surgery and still alive. And I, it's a, beyond a miracle and blessing that I'm still here because I shouldn't be here. We've gotten into that in previous podcasts. So if you want to go back and listen to those shows, get all the gruesome details. It's, it's there for the taking. But again, the moral of the story is, you know, these steps can help anyone. And again, it helps greatly if you have the higher power uh, because it, it will give you that energy, that strength, that support to get you through. Uh, but and again, keep driving this home because it's, it's beyond important is complete the 12 steps, complete the 12 steps, seek the help that you need, get with a group. Find others because there's strength in numbers and there's strength in support. Uh, don't try to go at it alone. Um, that, again, that's like the whole solitary spiritual life thing that we covered the other, you know, a couple podcasts ago. You know, it's it's better if you can have help and support and strength from others as well as your higher power. But again, make sure you complete the 12 steps. Again, like I know, I know people, and I'm thinking of one person specifically right now that, you know, is so pumped out with the chests strutting around like a peacock with all the feathers out, you know, banging the pride drums saying, you know, there you go right there. You know, it's wrong when it's pride, pride and ego saying, look at me, look what I've done, look what I've achieved, but they have not completed these steps completely, but yet profess that they have. And little by little, you can see that because they did not take that moral inventory completely and, reconcile where they could reconcile you see it start to it's like an acid it's eating our poison it's eating and eroding their peace it's eating and eroding um you know everything with them it's changing them you can see it you can see it it's just it's it's horrible to watch and horrible to witness um 
you know, it's to see a person that's come that far or profess to have come that far that's relapsing, you know. So it, it's, again, I'll shut up. <laughs> it's, it's important. You guys get the idea to complete these 12 steps. Don't half it all in, all or nothing. You know, you know as uh, Sister Claire said, all or nothing. You know, that, and that, that's it, point blank. And I know, I know that's extremely difficult. Thus, again, the reason why you need to get help, you need to seek help. And I know that is so very difficult to contact somebody for help. I recently had to do that myself and it was extremely difficult. It took everything in me uh, to reach out for help, uh, but I'm happy I did, you know, and I, I'm beyond blessed to have the support system uh, that I do have. And I know a lot of people don't have that, which makes it even more difficult. But, you know, please, 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 I beg you, all of you, if you need help, please reach out there for it. And if it's a thing of money, there are so many organizations that do things for free uh, or based on your income that can help you. So don't just write it off in your head saying, well, um, it's hopeless for me because I don't have the money. Uh, it's never hopeless. There's always somebody or some organization or someone that can direct you or, you know, just you've got to get your feelers out there. You've got to network. You've got to try to find the help. Again, we're so blessed to today's day and age that we have the Internet that a lot of things are just at our fingertips. We just type it in and it comes up. So, you know, please, please reach out to those uh, places and people that can help you overcome any of the addictions that you have in your life that you need help with. And speaking of hope, there was one thing that Mike wanted to mention that he did not get to on last week's show uh, that I assured him I would be sure to mention in this show. And that is something a counselor told him that really stuck with him, among many things, but this one really stuck with him. And the counselor told him that as long as you have a heartbeat, there's hope. And that can't be stressed enough to everyone and anyone uh, that is suffering with an addiction of any type, you know, as long as you have a heartbeat, as long as you're alive, there is hope. Never give up hope. And there's help. And don't forget that. There's help readily available for you. Like I said before, just get on Google. Look it up. It's easy enough to find. There are places very near where you live that can help you, most of which are free, absolutely free of charge. Okay, so this week we're going to close with a Buddhist prayer. That's something we haven't done yet. And it goes, may we all be well, happy, and peaceful. May no harm come to us. May we all also have patience, courage, understanding, and determination to meet and overcome inevitable difficulties, problems, and failures in our lives. May our parents, our teachers, and mentors, our friends, and may all living beings across the world be well, happy, and peaceful. May no harm come to them. May they also have patience, courage, understanding, and determination to meet and overcome inevitable difficulties, problems, and failures in life. So I will pause here for now. I so hope and pray that you all enjoyed the show and that this show is everything that you've been looking for and even more and that it continues to be that and even more for as long as possible. I am always greatly open to suggestions, recommendations for people to showcase on the show. As I've said infinite times, um, you, we have people from all over the world now listening to the show, and I know that each and every one of you have such amazing beings, past and present, in your culture that we have no idea about, but we should know about. So please, please, please take a moment to contact me, reach out to me, share these people and their stories with me, or at least where I can find the information 
uh, to locate information on these people so we can have it on the shows. Also, I love to pray. I am always doing my level best to be in a continuous state of prayer. And people that listen to the show love to pray as well. And we would all love to pray for you. If you would like for us to pray for you, please, there is on the website, which I'm going to give you the information here in a minute, information, there's a form at the bottom of the website that you can fill out to submit your prayer request. It asks for your first and last name. You don't have to give any of that. It does ask, the only thing you have to fill out is your email address, and that way I can write you back just to let you know I received your prayer request and that we'll be doing it. Um, There's a an area there where you can write out what your prayer request is if it's for you it's for a loved one for a friend if anyone that prays knows that the more information you have about the person you're praying for the better so feel free to share as much information as you're comfortable sharing and also please note on there if you want me to just pray for that person or for you on my own or if it's okay for me to share that on the show so we can get as many people as possible praying. So please make sure you note that on there. So there's two ways that you can contact me. The first is through our website, and that also has the prayer request form on there. And you can find our website, if you don't already know it, at Faith and More Podcast. That's all one word, Faith and More Podcast dot Wix site, W I X S I T dot com slash my dash site s-i-t-e again that's faith and more podcast dot wixsite dot com slash my dash site or you can email me directly at faith and more podcast again all one word faith and more podcast at gmail.com thank you all so much for listening i so hope you all return next week please If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you really enjoyed the show, please share it with as many people as you possibly can. Because right now, that's the only way our show gets out is by word of mouth and by sharing. So the more people you talk to it about and share with, the more people we can have listening and the more people we can bless with these stories of these amazing beings. So again, thank you all so very much for listening. Please know that you all are in my heart and my prayers. I love each and every one of you so much. Always remember, love yourself and love others. And I will see you all again next week.